better safe than sorry, always be closing. Clichés are clichés because they are true. Now you can add a new cliché to your list. Only fools miss an episode of Parsha Podcast, the podcast for the spiritually curious. Now let's learn some deep Torah. Here's your host, Rabbi Goldman. Welcome back to Parsha Podcast, everybody. Today's topic is the combination and the paradox of the membership that we have as small parts of a large Jewish community. And on the other hand, having a unique relationship with God, a personal relationship where our unique talents can shine and be brought to the, brought to the table. Now, we know that a major part of Jewish life is communal membership, whether it's that you go to shul with other Jews or you stand and support Jewish needs and Jewish causes or any other forms of identification with the tribe, the communal membership is a big part of life. On the other hand, by, by limiting our Jewish identity to group activity or group observance, when we all do the same mitzvah, we all say the same prayer, we can risk losing our individuality. And that would be a crime, that would be a shame. We have a lot to offer. And so we want to explore today, how do we exactly manage and balance the, the interplay between the communal and the individual? And today we're going to make the case that being a good Jew doesn't mean ignoring my uniqueness and just fitting the mold. That's not all. That may be one side of the coin, but there is another side. And within the framework of the Torah and Judaism, the goal is to develop my own unique relationship with Hashem, reflecting the full picture of who I am as an individual. So in this week's Parsha, we are studying and encountering the, um, the important life story of Abraham, Abraham, our forefather. And chief among the narratives in this Parsha is no doubt the story of circumcision that Abraham is commanded at the age, the ripe old age of 99 years old to circumcise himself. And also that children born to him at the age of eight, that male children born to him should be circumcised at the age of eight days. And, and this is what he did. This is what he did to Yitzchak, his son. And, and from then on, we have been doing the same. As a matter of fact, the circumcision the ritual circumcision, the bris milah, the brit, is still today one of the most commonly observed mitzvahs in the Jewish people, regardless of, the, of, of otherwise levels of relig religious observance and uh, even belief. This is a mitzvah, this is an observance that really, really penetrates deeply across all sorts of ideological and so socioeconomic structures, Jews around the world, Jews of all kinds, of all shapes, of all sizes, circumcise their sons on the eighth day. Um, it's just interesting to notice that our obligation of circumcising our children is not directly, does not flow directly from Abraham circumcising himself and the command to Abraham to circumcise his children. Rather, 
our obligation to circumcise our children comes to us from the Torah, when the Torah command, when God commands the Jewish people at Sinai, in the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai to circumcise the children, the same, the same idea, circumcise your male children on the eighth day, but um, it's repeated then. And that's because there's a big difference between the mitzvahs that our forefathers did in the um, informal stages of the development of Judaism compared to the mitzvahs that we are commanded to do once Judaism became formally um, constituted with the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. So Maimonides, who you may have heard of before, one of, the, one of Judaism's greatest scholars, lived in the 12th century um, and, and wrote and taught and was a doctor and, and so on. I, it's really impossible to summarize who and what Maimonides did in this context. But he writes a very interesting comment about the nature of the commandments, the mitzvahs that we do nowadays compared to the mitzvahs that our forefathers did. He writes as follows. This is a quote from Maimonides' commentary to the Mishnah. He says, an important principle to keep in mind is that anything we are obligated to refrain from or to do today, we do only because God commanded so through Moses and not because of a command given by God to one of the messengers who preceded him, who preceded Moses. In other words, a command given to Abraham and so on is not the legal source. That's not why it's legally binding on us to do the same today. The only reason that something is legally binding upon us to do today is because we were commanded by God through Moses in the Torah at Mount Sinai to do so. Now, that is all well and good. However, if you've ever been to a bris, you know that there's a part of the circumcision ceremony which doesn't seem to line up with this theory because we're arguing that all the mitzvahs that we do now come to us directly because we are commanded to do so by God in the Torah through Moses at Mount Sinai. But at a, at a bris, the father of the boy says, the blessing, Baruch Hashem, blessed are you God, etc., who has commanded us to enter the child into the covenant of Abraham our father. Now how do you say that when you perform the bris, you enter the child into the covenant of Abraham when really it's part of the covenant of Sinai through the Torah. We can maybe give Abraham an honorable mention. He's the one who got this thing started. But to ascribe the thing, to ascribe the whole covenant to Abraham and say that this is a covenant of Abraham is seemingly ignoring the facts of what this is. So there must be something about Abraham's circumcision that remains relevant even after Sinai. And there's something about our observance of the mitzvah of circumcision that makes it the covenant of Abraham, even though we're only doing it because we've, command, we've been commanded by God in the Torah sign. So let's take a look, take a moment, to explore the different characteristics and the nature of the two covenants, the two deals. There's a covenant between God and Abraham, and there's a covenant between God and the Jewish people at Sinai. We'll just call them the Abrahamic covenant and the Sinai covenant. So... Abraham recognizes God and says, I'm going to follow God, I'm going to worship God, I'm going to serve God, I'm going to live my life in a God-centered way. And in return, God makes a deal and says, I'm going to turn your descendants into a great nation and bring them to the land of Israel. And 
a few generations go by and Abraham is keeping his terms of the deal. His family has developed into a large, identifiable, unique, distinct group um, with their own language and dress code and so on, their own culture. Um, and God reiterates his promise to eventually turn them into a great nation. But that only starts to happen actually at the, at the moment of Sinai when the covenant is created with the entire community, not just with Abraham. Um, and Judaism officially begins when the entire Jewish community enters into this covenant with God at Sinai. Up until that point, we don't really have an official Judaism. So what's the covenant of Sinai? This is a quote from the book of Exodus, the book of Shemot. And Moshe took the book of the covenant, the Torah, read it within the hearing of the people, and they said, all that God spoke, we will do and we will hear. In other words, we will do everything, we will follow and obey everything that God tells us to do, and we will also do our best to understand. The verse continues, and Moses took the blood of some sacrifices, of animal sacrifices, sprinkled it on the people, and he said, behold, the blood of the covenant which God has formed with you concerning these words. And there you go. This is the moment where there's a unanimous and a unilateral commitment between the Jewish people and God. And uh, this is how Judaism actually begins. Question is, how could Jews in future generations, how could you and I right now be bound by a commitment made by our ancestors? I'm not around. I did not agree to this deal. Why should it be legally binding on me? And so the answer is, and this is articulated in a verse in the Torah in the book of Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, that not only with you, said Moses, am I making this covenant and this oath, but with those standing here with us today, and also before the Lord our God, and also with those who are not with us here today. And the Midrash explains that the Sinai covenant was not a typical legal deal, but rather the covenant of Sinai was a spiritual deal made between God and Jewish souls. Souls are obviously not limited to time and space. So it was not only the few, the few million Jewish bodies who were standing at Mount Sinai that were part of the deal, but every Jewish soul, even those who had not yet been born, entered into this deal, entered, entered into this covenant. And that's what Moses is referring to also with those who are not here with us today. Because all the Jews were there. All the Jews alive were there at the time. It's referring to souls who have not yet been born. <clears throat> So, now that we understand the nature of the Sinai Covenant, that it's a deal between God and all Jewish souls, that means that this is sort of a spiritual deal, and the material body, the physical body, could not have been a part of it. It was not around. My body was not around, quite simply. And if you think about it, most of the mitzvahs we do to keep our end of the deal, the Sinai Covenant, um, while we might perform them physically, they don't change Physically, they don't change the physical items that we're doing. When you light Shabbat candle, it's still a candle. You didn't change the structure of the physical candle on the physical, technical, tactic, <clears throat> tactile level. We don't, we don't affect any noticeable change in the physical structure of the world. Of course, we have a spiritual effect. Of course, we're combining physicality and spirituality every time we do a physical mitzvah. But the Shabbat candle remains the same candle that it was, and so on. To a bystander who does not have any kind of appreciation for the value of a mitzvah, it would not be evident that anything had been changed by you observing that mitzvah. Um, the exception is, of course, circumcision. Circumcision changes the physical body. It literally brands 
they used to, they used to brand cattle. It brands the relationship with Hashem into our physical bodies. Like no other mitzvah does. There is literally nothing else that has this kind of physical effect. And this was alluded to when God spoke to Avram and he told him that uh, my covenant shall be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant because once you perform a circumcision, there's no going back. It's done. It's going to be there forever. You have changed the structure of the physical body forever. And it's also unique that we perform this act of what might be assumed to be the most unspiritual part of the body, the most ungodly part of the body. And we do that specifically because we want to show that there's no part of the, of the child's being which is left out of it. We don't compartmentalize in Judaism. We believe that all of physicality is subject to a relationship with God. And at the moment of circumcision, there's also when we're taught that the neshama, the godly soul, enters the body, begins to enter the body. And this is the time where a person's unique connection to God is not just an abstract um, reality, but it becomes a part of who that person is physically. And just to articulate that point, here's a quote from the Rebbe uh, in a talk on this topic. Rebbe says as follows, the entry of the godly soul into the body refers to the point when a real bond between body and soul is created wherein they become one entity. That is when the soul's impact becomes visible in the body. In other words, circumcision, right? Circumcision is when the soul's impact becomes visible in the body. There's a spiritual effect on the physical body. That is when the covenant with God becomes stamped and sealed in the physical flesh of the body. That's the significance of circumcision. You have a physical um, imprint of the spiritual covenant. And so that's the uniqueness of the bris amongst all other mitzvahs that affects the physical in the most profound way. And so here we have a, a bit of a fusion between the two covenants. Avram's covenant was an individual covenant. It was not communal. And yet it was a permanent sign of God in the flesh. So on one hand, our modern contemporary obligation to circumcise our children or ourselves even, does technically stem from the Sinai covenant. The nature of that covenant, what it's all about, actually comes to us from Abraham. And as Abraham's descendants, as great-great-grandchildren of Abraham, we inherit the ability, the unique ability, to involve our physical bodies in a relationship with God and transform the material physical body into a vehicle for God and not just a self-serving exercise in, in materialism and indulgence and so on. <clears throat> and the idea of the, of the bris is not only a, a one-off a thing. Of course, this is the only mitzvah which expresses it, but the nature of our relationship with God is such that not only, did we, not only have we found one mitzvah that's literally stamped into the body, but the lesson is a global lesson that to demonstrate that ultimately our entire life can and should be lived in such a way. And this is a covenant between every part of a Jew and God, and it signifies the totality of every Jew's holiness. 
And the homework is to start living that way. And you see that again in the, in the structure of the bris ceremony. If you've ever been to the bris and you haven't been distracted by the bagels, you'll notice that as soon as the actual circumcision is done, or at the moment of the circumcision, there are three blessings. There's one recited by the Mohel, the rabbi, surgeon, doing the circumcision. Um, there's a second one recited by the father of the child. And there's the third recited by all the participants. What are they? The Mohel says a blessing, thanking God for the commandment of circumcision. The father of the child says, as we mentioned before, the blessing thanking God for entering him into the covenant of Abraham, our forefather. And the crowd says, in response to those two blessings, just as he has entered into the covenant, so may he enter into Torah, marriage, and good deeds. The Mohel speaks about the essential obligation that God commanded us to do the circumcision, which comes to us from the Sinai covenant. The father mentions Abraham. He's referring to the individual nature of the relationship between um, the individual and God, and the fact that it's physically branded into the body. And the crowd says that now we have to raise this child to a life of Torah, marriage, and good deeds, that the child should succeed in applying the message of the bris to all aspects of his life. So let's take a moment again to examine the two covenants. The Sinai covenant was made, like we mentioned before, between God and all souls. Abram's covenant was made between, uh, between God and Abram, the individual, the person, the body. The bris highlights the covenant's extension into the body. The Sinai covenant, which exists of its own, only at the level of souls, the bris is what bridges the gap and brings it into the body. Now, at the beginning, we were talking about the idea if Judaism is all about us uniting as a community, or it's about individual expression of the unique person individually. And the answer is, it depends if you're talking about the body or the soul. And here's a little bit of a counterintuitive idea. According to the Torah, the soul is where you find community, commonality, unity with other people. That means that the soul is not what distinguishes us from another person. If we did not have bodies, our soul would all be basically merged into one spiritual entity. The body, however, is where we become unique. Bodies are not the same. One is tall, one is short. One is strong, one is weak and so on and so forth. All the differences, the differences in personality and so on, are functions of the physical reality, the chemical makeup and so on, of our bodies. And the Talmud says that when somebody sees a large group of people, there's a special blessing, you say, because reflecting the diversity of the, 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 the fact that their minds are all unique, their faces are all unique, and, and that's, a, that's a corollary, that's a function of the body. And so at Sinai, the covenant of Sinai is a soul level um, commitment. We're bound to God in a, in a communal way that overrides, it doesn't really pay attention to our individuality. But the Avram, the, co the covenant from Abraham, which we have as a sort of inheritance, gives us the ability to incorporate our individuality into the relationship with God. And every single Jewish body is unique. And because Judaism affects the body through the bris, that means that every single Jew can and must serve God in his or her own perfectly unique way. And the uh, individuality must be a part of it. 
Now, when God gave his covenant to Abraham, he promised him that I will make your descendants like the stars of the heavens and the sand that's on the seashore. At first glance, it seems like a nice, beautiful metaphor. There's many stars there, many grains of sand. It's just two ways of expressing abundance. But reality is that they're actually very different. Stars are individually majestic and meaningful. Each one shines in their own way. Each one has a name, and they're mapped, and we can identify which is which. Sand is just sand. We do not have names for grains of sand. The difference between the stars and the sand, is, between the stars and the sand, as a metaphor for the Jewish people, is the difference between a Jew's function as a unique, as a unique actor, as an individual, or his function as part of a greater whole. Both are very important, and both are part of God's blessing to Abram. As uh, Rav Cook, one of the, the first chief rabbi of Israel, wrote that the two functions play out in the Jewish people. There's a monumental common purpose in the existence of the Jewish nation as a whole. But at the same time, each and every Jew has his or her own unique purpose, a purpose that is individually important as well. So these are the two covenants that the Jews have gone through. At Sinai, we all accepted the Torah together. The bris has to be undertaken by each individual male child. It's not a wholesale covenant that everybody does at once. And the, and the lesson is, for us as follows, we are all unique. When we study Torah, we all have to use our own brains. We, ab we absorb what we learn. We ask ourselves, what is the message for me in my own life? In our interpersonal relationships, we need to act with our whole unique selves. In our good deeds, we should ask, what kind of contribution can I make that nobody else can? I'm, an, I'm a unique individual created by God with individuality because there's some kind of individual unique contribution he wants me to make, he wants me to make in the world. If you're an artist, you can use your art to express Jewish ideas. If you're a comedian, you use your humor to cheer people up. If you're a business person, you might come in contact with people you would never otherwise get to know. Your wealth might open opportunities to help people. Even if you have a traumatic story, that can be a way for you to share some lessons with other people and help them in that way. And so the bottom line is that everything we do and all that we have, all our unique gifts must be brought into the relationship with Hashem all of our talents, if you never thought about your talent as a vehicle for your relationship with God or an expression of your Jewish identity or your mission in the world, start doing that now. There is no ideal Jewish persona to aspire to. We don't all have to be rabbis. Um, matter of fact, I hope you don't all become rabbis because then I become less special. So don't be rabbis. Be you. You, you, you do you. If, you're, if, you're, if, you have, if you have come to understand your unique personality, don't think of it as a liability because it takes you away from being something else. Embrace it for the opportunities it gives you. You are going to be really good at certain things that other people will not be great at. And that's why you're here. So stop beating yourself up for what you're not and begin accepting yourself for what you are. Welcome it. Appreciate it. It is a blessing. We are waiting for you. The entire world is waiting for you to show us what you've got. And we all are given the same mitzvahs. Or we're all connected to the same God. But how we do them and what parts of ourselves we include to express that, that, um, <clears throat> that connection is unique. And the goal, of course, is to apply the lesson of circumcision to every facet of life, identify our unique qualities and experiences, and find ways to incorporate them, incorporate them into our relationship with God. Good luck.